Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Melissa. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Well, just about 12 years ago, I was doing some work in South Africa with some of my family in one of the townships, rural areas, uh, just outside of uh, one of the townships in Zululand. Dan and I, my husband, we were with a group of people from the United States, and we were going and hosting these medical clinics because there was a local church there that had invited us to come. And obviously, I have no medical skills, don't worry. Um, So our job was to spend time with the youth and to do these youth events because we were the young ones. And so we were told, too, that at the culmination of the trip... Dan and I, the young ones, would be doing an all-nighter with the teens in the area. And so they locked us across the street um, from where we were staying. And this is rural, uh, this is a rural area outside the townships in South Africa. And so that means there's like cows everywhere and there's dogs everywhere and banana trees and it's awesome and beautiful. But the house where everyone else was staying was in a gated area with beds and all of that. And then across this dirt road was another gated area where the church was that had a lot of property over there as well. And so after this evening of events, um, it was time for us to settle into bed. And so I was to be chaperoning all of these girls. And we were sleeping across about a 200-yard field in a two-room concrete house. And so we go with all of, all of these girls. Now, for some reason, the boys were the ones sleeping in the church with the lights and the running water. I don't know about that. But anyway, so, so we go. And the rest of our team, all of the adults at the time, were staying in the house, this big, beautiful house across the road behind locked gates. And so I go over there with about 30 young girls and they throw mattresses on the floor and everybody piles in like four girls to a mattress. I was grateful enough to have like scored a top bunk. Um, 
and I was getting ready to sleep, but that was nowhere in the plans for these young girls because they were out and they were going to stay up all night and tell ghost stories in Zulu. And so there's a, somebody would be whispering, 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 and then she would scream, and then the whole room would scream, and then they'd burst out laughing, which was absolutely terrifying when you don't know what anyone is saying. And so after about an hour of this, I was like, that's it. I'm done. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. I can't take this anymore. I got to get out of here. And so it's pitch black because there was no running electricity or water out there. And so I can't find my shoes, but I say, forget it, I'm gone. And so I walk out by myself to set out across this field barefoot. But here's the thing, it had rained. And so the field was muddy. But not only was it muddy, but all of the frogs had come out in the rain. And so the field is covered in frogs. I'm barefoot and mud. And here's the thing. The South Africans are afraid of frogs because what comes behind frogs? Snakes. Yes, and so I'm convinced now that I'm going across the field and there's going to be snakes attacking me. I was terrified, absolutely terrified, running, exhausted, muddy, wet, pretty sure I was going to get bit by a snake. I was in the wilderness, right? I was in a wilderness that I did not know. I wasn't sure how I was going to get out of it. I couldn't control anything around me, and I was longing for comfort. Please, any sort of comfort. took about another hour and a half to finally get through the gates and pass the dogs and into bed. But the wilderness can be a scary place, right? place where we don't know what's happening, how long we're going to be there. We want to get out of it, avoid it at all costs. When you think about the wilderness, how do you define it? It's wild, chaotic, unsafe. Or for you, do you think about it being barren and dry and dead? Life feels wild and out of our control. With all of our scheming and planning, we can't seem to tame it. And so in this season of Advent, a season of waiting, we are invited to dwell in and to contemplate wilderness, this untamable, chaotic season of life before we get to the manger, before we can get to shepherds and stables and songs under stars. We're invited to step into the wilderness, to wrestle with and understand the wilderness of the past that the story is born out of and the wilderness in our own stories. See, the Israelites, they knew a few things about wilderness themselves, right? They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Talk about a wilderness of chaos, uncertainty. But it was in that time that God did something, was working in the midst of that, and he grew this nation to be a mighty nation. They then leave that wilderness, they cross the Red Sea, but then enter into another season of wilderness wandering, right? 40 years in the desert, not sure when it's going to end. But it was during this season that God was at work and he solidifies Israel as a nation, really helping them identify who they were to be, a people that are epitomized by love, loving God and loving others, a people who are known for their justice, All throughout the Old Testament, they're reminded, and we're seeing, they're they're told, you came out of slavery. Remember what it's like to be at the bottom. Treat people with justice, with mercy. Remember, 
they don't remember. So after Judges and Kings, there's this drift that happens and Israel finds themselves yet again in another wilderness as they're taken away from their land into exile. There's a lot of debate about the book of Isaiah, this passage that Melissa just read, when exactly it was written, whether it's Isaiah in exile speaking to the Israelites or if he's looking forward to it. But we know that Isaiah 40 is a passage written to people in the wilderness. And in order for us to really understand what he's saying as he talks about comfort, we need to dig down and and understand the heart of a wilderness wanderer. We need to think about our own stories as we look at these passages and go, where is it that I'm experiencing wilderness in my own life? A good place for us to understand from scripture comes from the book of Lamentations. The author who some think is the prophet Jeremiah is looking at Israel in ruins. He's personifying Jerusalem to have a voice for herself and he says she weeps bitterly in the night. With tears on her cheeks among all her lovers she has none to comfort her. For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. We are in the wilderness, we have this longing for comfort. Is there anyone who hears? Is there anyone who's coming to our aid? What is the wilderness that you have found yourself in? We go through all different types of situations, right? Where we experience this. Where you're going, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to. It seems chaotic and uncertain. It seems wild and untamable. With your jobs, a job you've been wanting is so elusive. You just can't seem to get your footing And get it under control. With the relationships, they just seem to always be on the verge of collapse. People who are battling addictions, wondering, is there any comfort? Sickness, is there any comfort? Maybe spiritually. You've been in a place where you're going, God... You seem so far away. It says that you're near, but everything seems dry and parched and barren. God, I don't get it. Where are you? Is there any comfort? It's in that situation that Isaiah is writing. It's in that type of wilderness and barrenness and chaos and untamable life that Isaiah is writing these words. We put these two passages together. It kind of gives us a picture of what he's saying. He says, for these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. A comforter is far from me. Want to revive my spirit. My children are desolate. For the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands. But there's none to comfort. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. There is none to comfort her. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Is there any comfort? Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Comfort is on its way. Comfort is coming. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been for them to believe that in the midst of exile? As they're waiting and trying to understand God's work. One of the things that we say here all the time is that God is always at work. We don't actually have to call him down, but that he's always present and he's always at work even when we can't see it. And so we look at this passage And this is what I think Isaiah is helping us try to understand and what Advent reminds us of is that God uses the barren wilderness to birth beautiful life. He doesn't cause the wilderness necessarily. Sometimes maybe. But he uses, he is at work in the midst of the barren wilderness to cause and to birth beautiful life. And here's the thing about this is that we don't have to actually escape the wilderness in order to encounter God. It might be the very place where we actually can hear him and encounter him because all distractions are gone. Isaiah doesn't say, get out of Babylon. Get out of exile so that you can meet God. He says, no, there's a highway being built and God is coming to meet you there. But if we don't expect it, we don't prepare to meet God in that wilderness, it's a good chance we're just going to keep wandering and not experience him. That's why the prophet says, prepare As one crying out in the desert, prepare, stir your hearts, anticipate. Just like kids on Christmas Eve night, right? Putting out the milk and cookies. They're preparing for something to happen. Get ready. Even in the dryness and in the despair, get ready to encounter your God. Our tendency is to avoid the wilderness or to become bitter by it. But if we avoid it, not expecting for God to meet us there, we avoid one of God's greatest workshops in our life. We believe God only meets you where you really are, and many of us are in the wilderness. He meets us there, and he births beautiful life in the midst of the barrenness. My conviction is that your next breakthrough spiritually 99% chance it's not going to come after some mountaintop high. That there's some work that's going to happen in the darkness, in the valley, in the barrenness. If you are preparing your hearts and anticipating that God just might be meeting you there. Well, how on earth does this happen? How on earth in the midst of the chaos and the confusion can this actually happen? As Isaiah goes on, he talks about the grass and how the people are like grass. 
Their faithfulness is like grass. It withers and dies. He says, we are not faithful in our waiting, but that God is faithful in his coming. You see, in the wilderness, how this happens is we're stripped of our sufficiency and we're forced into a dependency. If you're anything like me, you have to be forced into dependency. I don't go there on my own. I've got this, right? But in the wilderness, we're faced with our finiteness. We're faced with the fact that we can't do it on our own. And I think that this is the beautiful thing, that God is not afraid of the wilderness because he knows that that's where we're probably going to hear his voice as we are dependent on him. And that there's actually some beautiful life that can be birthed even in the midst of trials and confusion and difficulty. I had the absolute privilege of watching my grandparents age. They happened to live a few streets away. We had a really close relationship. But I watched my grandfather, who was a self-made man. I mean, this guy, he just, he was incredible. He was one of the most charismatic, friendly people. He was so proud of all of his accomplishments. He built this incredible treehouse with his bare hands that had to have shingles on it. You know, I mean, that was the kind of guy that he was. But because he'd taken some medication as a kid and all throughout his life for epilepsy, it damaged his nerves. And so as he started to age, he started to stumble and then trip and then had to wear braces on his legs and then told he can't drive and have to rely on a cane. But I watched this man who, because of the circumstances, could have, should have become bitter, become angry, demanding that people get out of his way and care for him, I watched him instead. I watched this amazing new life be birthed in him as he started to care for his aging wife of 60 plus years, as her health failed. I watched this tenderness and this grace develop in him, this spiritual depth as he waited before the Lord. It was absolutely amazing and humbling to witness. The reality is, that in the wilderness it can be one of God's best workshops for our life because all of the things that we have clung to are stripped away and we're dependent on him. If we actually can believe what Apostle Paul talks about, that when we are weak, we are actually strong because we're fully relying on God. That's what Isaiah is talking about. He says, ironically, as everything is stripped away from you, You're going to be strong and have the most power because you are dependent now on God. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Fear not. In the wilderness, we are stripped of self-sufficiency. We're forced into dependency. We're also stripped of comfort. We long for a comforter. Things are put into perspective in our life when we're in the wilderness. There's something about being a human that we'll settle for very trinket-type comfort in our everyday life, right? 
We'll just get our latte on the way, you know, treat yourself, got to do what it is I need to get by one more day. But when we're truly in the wilderness, those things don't matter. We need a true comforter to come and cover us and care for us. That's what Isaiah is talking about. He's saying, no, there is, a, there is a real comforter. All of these other things that you've leaned on, they're gone. And so now your heart is truly longing for what it is it actually needs. And so who is this comforter that is coming? What is this comfort that is coming to you? He says, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense before him, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young, that are with young. He says, look at the Lord your God who is coming. He's coming with might and he is coming with mercy. He is coming with strength tenderly. Our God, when he comes... When he comes with a healing balm, he comes gently. He's a ruler and a shepherd. I think that when we're in the wilderness, we start to understand and unpack these dual dimensions and what almost seems like warring attributes of our God, that he's strong and tender. And we need him to be both, don't we? He's good, but he can protect us. He comes alongside of us like a shepherd to care for us tenderly, but he's strong enough to protect us. This is who's coming with mercy and with might. And verse 8 says, it talks about how the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Saying that flesh is inconsistent, but our God is faithful. Flesh is mortal, but our God is immortal. What might happen if we combine these two things? What would happen if this word that is immortal becomes flesh? What if all this faithfulness of our God was embodied in fleshly humanity? If God could step in in all of his perfection and clothe himself in mortality and in the failure of the first Adam step into life as the second Adam and actually become a flesh that doesn't fail, that doesn't fade, but is faithful we would have the incarnation. It's what we're waiting for. It's what the people were waiting for. Isaiah was pointing to a time when we would have no more questions about who this God is. It's not a God who causes all of the pain and suffering in our life, but he meets us right there in it. As Jesus comes, as he puts on skin and bones, as he becomes as fragile as a baby. We have no question anymore about what type of God we have. Word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood. Comfort has incarnated. 
and all of your wanderings and shortcomings and failures and uncertainties, we have a God who comes to us, who is not weak but strong, who is not harsh but tender. This is our God. Emmanuel, God with us, walking with us, revealing to us who we are and how we are loved. This is Jesus. Comfort has a name. Our hope in the midst of the wilderness is that he meets us right there in it. And then he is active and he is at work even in the midst of your most painful seasons, even in the midst of the uncertainties and the questions. He does not leave you. He weeps with you. He sees you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God tenderly inviting you, reach out and behold your strong, tender God. The word became flesh and has dwelt among us. Hope puts its arm around us. He has come, is come, will come to show us the fullness of his love, meeting us right where we are in the midst of our chaos in our untamed, wild, uncertain lives. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, the place where comfort incarnated.